Hi, I'm Anna Harris. Welcome to our podcast. Please join us as we talk to experts, ministers, and prophetic voices from around the world on topics relevant for today. I hope you enjoy this message. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited about my podcast guest today, whose name is Jonathan Puddle. Um, He is an award-winning author, and he's a blogger, and has a great podcast that I always try to listen to. Um, He has a book called You Are Enough, and uh, which is a devotional that I have really loved and gotten a lot out of. And I'm so excited to get to talk to him today. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to have an evolving faith or a transitioning, transforming faith. Some people would call it deconstruction. Uh, I used to call it times in the wilderness, but we're really talking about those times, those set apart times where um, we really take a step back we examine our faith. What is it that we really hold on to that are our core beliefs? Um, and we just take time with the Lord. Um, sometimes um, this will be a time that is actually away from church, from organized religion. Maybe we just have a small community of our friends that are believers. But a lot of times it is a very special and sweet time with the Lord that he can speak to us. So we're going to be talking to Jonathan about that and what some of his thoughts and suggestions are for people that are that find themselves in this type of period in their lives. So thank you so much for joining um, us today. And I'm going to bring on Jonathan. Okay, welcome, Jonathan. I'm so happy to have you talking with me and my listeners and viewers today. So today we're going to be chatting about evolving faith. And some people call it deconstructing their faith. I sort of like the term transforming your faith. Um, But basically, I just wanted to talk with you about what's happening for some people who have been in evangelical churches for years, um, but more recently have been disillusioned with the church or their leaders, leadership team, um, and they're actually leaving the church, at least for a time. And what do you think is happening and why with this? Yeah, well, let me... Let me start, if you don't mind, by telling my own story. Oh, that would be great. Yes. And then we'll see where that goes. Obviously, my story isn't everybody's story, and people are uh, questioning things and reevaluating their their beliefs for any number of of reasons. But here's what happened for me. I grew up in a broadly evangelical home. My parents were charismatic leaning. Uh, we were missionaries with YWAM. My parents were, and I was grew up as a YWAM kid traveling all over the world. Wow. And then in uh, the late nine, New Zealand was home and in the late nineties, uh, my dad traveled to Toronto, went to a conference at Catch the Fire, what was the airport vineyard church at the time mm-hmm. and had a really quite life-changing experience. He went back to New Zealand and not long later, uh, my parents felt God say, move to Toronto and join the revival. Hmm. So I was wow. 13 when I turned up in Toronto with my parents. I'd never seen, oh. I'd never seen a church that big, like in New Zealand, we don't have mega churches really. So I'd never seen anything that wild, that big, that exciting. But I was like, hey, if we've moved all the way here for this, we may as, may as well be interesting. 
And uh, I loved it. I, I, I love the presence of God. I love the teachings about the love of the Father, the um, falling in love with Jesus. Like all this kind of stuff was, was really mm-hmm. good and life-giving. And uh, in many ways, when my parents later divorced and a bunch of stuff kind of all fell apart in my life, I was so thankful to have been given these tools in a, this church setting that mm-hmm. saved me from untold heartache. Now, I mean, we all still have work to do, like, <laughs> right? But, but nonetheless, that all those years added such good stuff into my mm-hmm. life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for those years. Well, what started to happen was when I was uh, in my, I got, I got married at 19. Mm-hmm. I graduated high school and went straight to work at the church, mm-hmm. and I had no major career prospects, and so I sort of started in maintenance and learned all kinds of different things after after just not not long i guess a couple of years it got to a point where i was working monday to friday at the church facility i was in someone's small group my wife and i were leading another small group at that time our church was big into the g12 group mm-hmm. multiplication model and so right. it seemed like if you were being a good christian and if you were playing the game to win that that people seem to want you to play, you should be at church seven days a week, evenings, daytimes, all this kind of stuff. And uh, and I got to the point where I'm like, I need to figure out how to invest in my marriage. I'm newly married. I need to figure out. I'm just trying to figure out myself as an adult, as a as a independent human being who no longer lives with his parents. I'm trying to unpack my my parents' divorce. My father came out as a homosexual, so that was another whole piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I integrate all these things? And the strangest part of it was that all the things that seemed to be necessary for me to integrate and come whole and learn to thrive as a human mm-hmm. couldn't happen because of my church schedule. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I didn't have any words to describe. People weren't talking about deconstruction at that time. This, I mean, we're talking about like 2006, mm-hmm. and and so it was far from a new phenomenon. But it wasn't in the culture. It wasn't in the mainstream language around church life. And all I knew was that something was wrong. I loved God. I loved Jesus. But I wasn't finding that spiritual, vibrant life at church anymore. And mm-hmm. I wasn't finding fellowship at church anymore. So when people mm-hmm. say, you know, don't forsake the fellowship of believers, I'm like, I am turning up every Sunday and there is no fellowship of believers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't know what to do with it. Now, my wife is like, we're, we're newly married. And she's like, oh, no, my my new husband doesn't want to go to church anymore. And it's like difficult crisis for us. Right. We just kind of found ways to to keep going until we moved abroad. And Mm -hmm. we ended up uh, moving to Finland for six years for my wife to pursue a master's degree. And and while we were there, it was the perfect excuse to take a pause. Mm -hmm. And uh, that pause turned into 10 years. Wow. 10 years outside of the institutional church Mm -hmm. where we, to be honest, detoxed Mm -hmm. of the busyness the expectation the systems of 
growth, behavior, moral code, all manner of things. Mm -hmm. It actually honestly felt like God. I mean, this is in the wilderness. God feeds you from his hand yes, <laughs> and you have nothing else. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our experience. Mm-hmm. It was like, everything began to get stripped away mm-hmm. till we were like, and, and I, to be honest, I even had to stop reading the Bible because I didn't, I could no longer find love and hope in it. I'm mm-hmm. reading the old Testament and I'm reading Paul and I'm just like, I'm finding just bigoted, patriarchal horrible language everywhere Mm -hmm. but i know that's not god right but i don't know what to do with all of this so i put it all aside so we're not attending church we are not reading scripture we're not in worship prophetic everything that had come to typify our our christian life was stripped away Mm -hmm. and i learned to fall in love with god just for god right over again wow Ron, that's great beautiful and surprising and Mm -hmm. strange and new Mm -hmm. and as i I don't mean this was years right like i don't it's it's so tempting to tie these stories up with a bow but but we ended up um journeying with a handful of other folks who are on the same kind of path that they felt like god was like there's more the things that you are uncomfortable about, you're allowed to be uncomfortable. Maybe mm-hmm. you should listen to your guts. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not a demon whispering and trying to pollute you. Maybe actually <laughs> God in his spirit in your body has said, some things are no longer compatible with your life. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we journeyed with these folks for a few years and began to experience just wild encounters with the Holy Ghost mm-hmm. in a communal kind of shared meal setting you know some some people might call home church or or organic church but the the point was is we had no agenda it wasn't like now now i'm the pastor of the home church and we've just moved everything into the home we had we had no goals agenda it was just like let's let's just gather with one another and just see what the lord would do yeah things would bubble up out of our person and 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 Mm -hmm. we honestly anna we encountered spontaneous demonic deliverance Mm, wow. uh, spontaneous like revelation of who Jesus is like a neighbor mm-hmm. who called us one day and basically was like I realize I can't handle my life anymore and I said God if you're real come and take over my life and all of a sudden everything changed and mm-hmm. I just have a sense that you could explain it to me wow <laughs> <laughs> like just the, the wildest things we're like it was the yeah. spirit was chasing us down yeah that's and funny. I and I and I said God I don't I don't know I still didn't have a lot of language for all of this mm-hmm. I was beginning to hear about deconstruction and, and, and I knew that, that our modern evangelical practices have a lot of things that are just cultural, right? Like, right. like we're watching, especially like the Southern Baptist church in the United States wrestle with this. How much of what we believe is Jesus? How much mm-hmm. of this is just Southern American culture? Right. And as, as are the rest of us trying to figure out how to be in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. The bigger the system and the, and the more complex and the more moving parts, the harder it is to disentangle yourself. Mm-hmm. In the midst of that, I felt like God said to me, Jonathan, wherever you let my son reign, whatever sphere of your life, you let Jesus come and be the king, mm-hmm. you will experience the kingdom. Wow. What was that? That's good. So that's if that's in, good. 
gatherings, if that's in your personal life, that's in your marriage, if that's in your parenting, mm-hmm. if that's in your, your sex life, like figure out how to, how to serve the Lord and love one another and you'll experience kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of became our, our new lens. Mm-hmm. And a few years later, we ended up turning up at a church one Sunday morning to visit some friends. And uh, I felt the, the whisper of the spirit say, hey, um, put roots down here. Mm-hmm. Learn to love these people. Yeah. Serve me here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. It was a huge surprise. <laughs> and that was uh, four years ago. Uh, my wife and I are volunteer kids pastors. And, and I, and I, you know, I write and I blog and I, and I love God. And as long as we are here in this body of believers to serve and love, we're here. And if the Lord says, okay, time for something different, then I'll be sipping whiskey in my backyard on a Sunday morning and reading my Bible. <laughs> I think that's so beautiful though, how it's like you're sharing out of your own journey, you know, and now did you think when you first started that you might ever like be sharing from that and, you know, leading others? And I, I don't, yeah, I guess yes and no. I, mm-hmm. I have always felt like I had a pastoral anointing of, calling gift, whatever language you want to use. I care Mm -hmm. about people. And I I knew that. I also knew that I um, could no longer participate in systems that were hurting people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I couldn't, for, 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 there were some years where I could not imagine how I could be involved in any kind of traditional or institutional church setting because of, of the pain that I saw many, many people being being pressed into you know i only mentioned it for my life it was busyness really mm-hmm. you know, we've got uh gender issues we've got racial issues you know we've got i mean let let i mean th- and those are those are not even sin questions those are just mm-hmm. human beings in church not being loved for who they are yes if you start leaning into conversations around homosexuality and transgender identities you know the church is failing 10 times out of 10 to communicate love and acceptance mm-hmm. to folks struggling with those matters. And so I did not know how I could ever come back to church. But here I am in church, uh, partly because the, the people that I serve with care about love and care about Jesus and his way of self-sacrifice. So, you know, as we learn and practice living that way, I guess I, I guess I figured I might just be in people's living rooms and able to talk to them in that setting. Mm-hmm. So it was a surprise to me to end up back in church. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my, my main career as a, as a writer, that I think I had been dreaming about for a long time, but, mm-hmm. yeah. but that's so informed by my work as a pastor. I, I, I'm so thankful for that. Right. That's great. Well, in a way you are in people's living room when they're watching this or they're listening to your podcast and, you know, so, and I think so many people are, they're hungry to know more about God, but without all the, the religious trappings, I would say like, I've been through, you know, in the past, we would call them a wilderness experience really. And I've been through a couple and the first was after being in a very, very legalistic, um, church setting. And, um, 
it took a while to recover from that. And, but I really did in looking back, it strengthened my faith because I had to go and look at, okay, what do I really believe is necessary for a relationship with God without all the legalism? And, um, and it's hard to walk through that when your community, because this particular group was so legalistic that if you left their church, then they ostracize you. And so you no longer have community. So it's quite traumatizing. Yes. Yeah. So, but I did grow from it. And I, I always thought, well, you know, I'll never be um, taken in by legalism again, because now I know, but um, and then another time was really honestly, when I, I had been in um, faith-based churches for um, faith movement type churches for a while and was introduced to the father heart. Mm. And at that time, I took some time to really think and sift through what I've been taught and what I was teaching at that point through the lens of the father heart of God. And so that was another sort of wilderness time. But I look back and think those were both amazing times with God. Like, I think you grow during those times. Um, I felt closer to the Lord than I had in, you know, a long time. So I think those can be really good. And um, so, like I mentioned this to you before, but I was talking with my ministry team and uh, we were discussing when you, when people do take a break from church, it's almost like a gap year. You know, when you take a gap year after high school or after college and really think about what do I want to do? And, um, and it's not a bad thing. It can actually be very healthy. And then we were calling it a sea law moment. Cause you know, the word sea law sort of mean, means pause and ponder or think about this. And so some people are doing that and um, just kind of thinking, taking a break to, pause like you said get rid of the busyness because sometimes that schedule can be you know it's oh, like yeah. like a hamster on a little wheel you know and um so but i want to ask you if someone does feel that they have wanted to take a break they're having a sea law time what do you recommend for them you know um to continue growing with god And I mean, I know there's no real formula, but what would you say, what would you just advise them to be doing? Sure. Oh man, so many different ways I could answer that. I I think probably the first thing I would want to say is that it's okay to take a break. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's okay to stop. And, and there are going to be people in your life who, who won't get it and will think you're being unfaithful they'll accuse you of backsliding and there'll be any number of things that people may say and may have already begun saying to you. Right. But it's okay to take a break. Mm. It's okay to think about what you believe. Mm-hmm. It's okay to wrestle with what you believe. You know, is Israel, this, this chosen people by God is means one who wrestles with God. Mm-hmm. Right, the scriptural narrative is full of very honest, painful wrestling. Read, read the Psalms and tell me that David just read the scripture and believed it and moved on with his life. <laughs> that was that. Right. Right. Like you can't tell me that. Right. And so I think, first of all, there's a 
I mean, you live you live in in Texas, right? Yes. So so tell me, how much of a part of the American experience do you feel like ordinariness, restfulness, peace, uh, just being thankful with what you have? Is that is that like the because? T- I would say that's not the typical American law, right? Not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and so even understanding that the culture that so many of us live, I don't live within the United States, but 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 the state still exerts major cultural and religious power and pressure on the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. understanding that even just to, to stop and say, I'm allowed to smell the roses, mm-hmm. naked, alone in the dark, I am enough for God. He calls me beloved without any accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I live within a culture that is always going to try to infiltrate me in every way. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to stop. It's okay to pause. It's okay to move slow. It's okay to find God in ordinary things. Uh, it's okay to encounter God in nature. And I, I think one of the other big things that we have to get over and that I would encourage people to consider is that in so much of our life, we are fed the story that everything happens because we make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like choose right. your destiny. Even, even so much of our, the way that in the charismatic world, we understand the prophetic is very often like you have to bring your word to pass in your life. Mm-hmm. For most of the history of this planet and of human life on this planet, people have lived isolated, quiet, simple lives. They have made very few friends and they have accomplished very little. And that has been human life. Mm-hmm. And it's been okay. And, and, and something about God... Like we, like God is willing and able to accomplish what he, what he wants to accomplish in your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I he, think, of course, he, sorry, he invites yeah. us to participate, of course. Mm-hmm. It's up to us. It's, it's in so many ways up to him. And, and, and in, like I said, he invites us to, there's a whole thing, but, but if, if you're looking at this rest period then put your trust in God and say, okay, if you want to lead me out into the wilderness, if you want to teach me something about yourself, I believe you can, and I believe you will. And so I will wait and watch for you to do so. And then I'm going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And even that is pretty radical mm-hmm. <laughs> in the face of the kind of uh, more fundamentalist Christian world that we're kind of coming out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. And I think there's in American culture and American church culture, there can be this pressure to always be doing something for God, you know, changing the world, um, affecting your, you know, your area that is yours. And even sometimes when things don't happen the way that, say, a prophetic word has happened, it gets blamed on, well, that's because the Christians didn't pray enough. You know, and I hate that because it's like, yeah, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't pray hard enough or something. Um, um, But even the, 
the idea of pursuing the American dream has so, you know, infiltrated the church. And, um, you know, I just don't think that God is on the same timeline that we are, you know, I mean, like, it's okay to have a second career later in life, like is sort of what I'm doing. And, um, you know, he, he just isn't on the same timeline that we are, you know, seriously. I mean, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, somewhat. Yeah. I am. And I grew up in New Zealand where it was filmed and yes. when they filmed uh, Hobbiton. Yes, I have been there. I've been there. Well, yeah. well, then you've been where I grew up because it's, oh, okay. my mother lives about 30 minutes away from where they oh, filmed wow. Hobbiton. And the filmmakers went in a year before filming and they built everything. They built the town. They planted the crops. Mm-hmm. They planted the flower beds. And then they came and then they they cared for it for a year so that when they filmed on it, it looked lived in. It looked wow. real. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so struck by that slow, thorough attention to detail. And, and I see that in the life of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. At, at 12 years old, he is wise enough in the ways of God that the scholars are mind blown by the things he's teaching them. Mm-hmm. But his public ministry doesn't begin for another 20 years. Yes. 20 years of uh, relative obscurity. You know, it says that he grew in stature in the eyes of God and man. So, you know, in his, in his tiny town, people knew who he is. Clearly, because later on, they're like, hey, we know this guy. He's nothing mm-hmm. special. So he's known, but not for anything fancy. He's mm-hmm. a carpenter. He builds right. stuff. He's a builder. And so there's something about that slowness mm-hmm. that is thorough. Even the pictures we, we, you know, we have of yeast working its way through the whole dough, right? Like now we've got commercial yeast and it's fast, but like many of us during lockdown, I've been making sourdough bread and sourdough takes time. There's, mm-hmm. you don't put the commercial yeast in that makes it rise in an hour. You've got to leave it for 24 hours so that it can work through the whole dough. And I think, you know, you probably know this more than me. I mean, I'm, 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 in, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm saying, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface mm. of what it means to be a human being, to lay down my life for others, to live like Christ. You know, learning maturity takes time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But, uh, but yeah, we don't have a strong cultural value for things that take time. We want, we mm-hmm. want it fast. We want it now. Right. And, and I mean, I, I get that. I, I bought something on Amazon yesterday and it arrived today. I love the convenience. <laughs> right. But, um, but like you said, God's time is just so, so different, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, God himself is not bound by space-time constraints. Right. We are bound by space-time constraints. And even within those space-time constraints, uh, the invitation, I think, really, from a scriptural narrative is to move slow and understand that God is in all, holding all together, working all things for good, for life, for joy, for hope. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. our lives would be different if we oriented ourselves to that. Very, very. And I also want to say that I think God is not concerned or upset when we go through these times of questioning 
and like looking at what we believe Mm -hmm. and wondering if we should really believe that, you know, God's not all upset about it. You know, he's, he's bigger than that, you know, and, and he's not going to get, get mad or kick us out or anything. Totally. I I totally agree. Like the the challenge is many of us were raised in religious or family upbringings that didn't tolerate questions right Mm -hmm. now. Why does someone not tolerate a question for two reasons? Generally, I think either they don't know the answer to the question and they don't want to look stupid or they're threatened that maybe uh, the answer to this question they know is bogus, or they just know it's actually not very robust. And so it becomes a threat to that person's power, authority, position, right. way of life, and so on. So we look at we, who, who is famous for doubting in scripture? Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> and does, what does Jesus do with Thomas's question? Hmm. Does he rebuke him? No, not at Does all. Does he uh, shut him down and tell him he's stupid for asking questions? No. Mm-mm. First of all, let's consider that Mary didn't recognize Jesus in the first place. Mm-hmm. But Thomas is not alone in his doubts. Peter and everybody else didn't believe Mary when she came and told him. So first of all, it's not even fair to call Thomas the doubter because every single one doubted. Mm-hmm. But Thomas says, these are my terms. I need to put my fingers in the body if I'm to believe. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, here. Right. Go yeah. ahead. The dignity. Mm-hmm. I think that I think God shows nothing but dignity to mm-hmm. our questions. Yes. And I don't know, that can be scary, right? When, when we haven't been treated with dignity, when our questions have been shut down, mm-hmm. we've been shut down as a result. I know it's scary. And I know sometimes we, we have really good reasons for no longer asking questions. So no shame. But I think that God treats us with endless dignity and says, wow, that's an amazing question. I love the way your brain is working. Mm-hmm. Let's take six months or a year or five years to work through this with you so that you can come to see a new truth about who I am mm-hmm. in a way that that you will believe, that will meet your terms. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, I think sometimes leaders don't want a question because they like their position of being the authority, you know, listen to what I say. That's what the truth is. Don't be, you know, don't be questioning me. So, but, but that's very unhealthy. It is, it is unhealthy. And it's just, if you see someone who operates differently, you see how, how different it is. You know, someone who, you know, I've witnessed this with with uh, Paul Young, the author of The Shack. I've spent mm-hmm. some time with him. I've interviewed him multiple times. And he's this guy who will get off an airplane. He, I mean, he's so busy, pre-COVID, obviously, but he'll get off an airplane. He'll turn up at your event, whether there's like a green room or a nice space or not, he will get up and do his thing. And then he will stay and he will meet every single person who wants to come. Wow. And not just like sign a book and get out of here. They will cry on his shoulder. He'll be covered in snot. Um, and, and then he'll go and sit with you at, at the restaurant later. And, and, and I thought to myself, what? Like, I'm not that kind of person. I would like to be, but I feel like I need my quiet room where I can get myself together and basically where I can put on my mask. And and I thought to myself, what would it take for me to just be that comfortable and that at peace? Mm -hmm. And I I think the answer 
that I came to was I would just need to be totally at peace in who I am. Yes. And, and only- it's also okay to say, sorry, but it's okay to say, I don't know the answer to everything. That's it. And if you are at peace with who you are, if you're at peace as the beloved of God, you can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much we don't know, right? right, right. Like there's so much we don't know and we never will know. Right. But if, if we're holding onto a facade or if our authority is built on our knowledge, oh man, that's a terrible place for your authority to be built on. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a pastor and you know, and you know how shaky that tower is under you. I mean, man, I, I have much compassion for you. And I, I know there's a lot of pastors going through this kind of deconstruction journey and mm-hmm. realizing they can no longer be part of these systems and right. propagate these things. Uh, their own humanity is now on the line, right? And mm-hmm. I know that's scary and, and real, but man, God is so faithful. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you see for the the church going forward? Because there, there is shifting coming when you have, I think when you have all these people that are questioning, leaving, not that everyone is, of course, but um, it's going to change things. You know, it will definitely change things. Um, so, yeah. Um, maybe talk about it a little bit in human psychology terms. Uh, did you grow up, Anna, completely obedient to your parents and respecting them for everything they told you? No. No. Did you have to figure out a few things yourself? Yes, absolutely. Things your parents may have tried to <laughs> right. help you not learn on your own, but nonetheless, you had to, right? Mm-hmm. And all of us have to. And I think in many ways, that's what large sections of the church are doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, every generation, let's say a generation lasts 20 to 30 years, every generation has to carve out certain new ground, right? And they, right. And, and we see that quite clearly throughout time. But, and, and, and there's an anchoring effect because of the generations on either side, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever's gone before you doesn't want all of the change that you are trying to bring. And whoever is coming after of you wants even more change than, right. than you're comfortable with. Exactly. And so, in a normal scenario, there's, a, there's an averaging out, a leveling that happens over 40, 50 years without these harsh changes. Yes. Now, what they call like black swan events, like major events, they they mess with that, right? So pandemics, Mm -hmm. uh, I think September 11, there there are major events that, that shift that. Uh, Another, some for good or for ill, it's neutral. The point is, is that major events can adapt that that what's normally a more gradual flow. One of those last major events again was World War II, and after that we have this massive uh, boomer population that are like the largest generation we basically have ever recorded. And so uh, again, for good and not always for good, mm-hmm. the values and beliefs of boomers have exerted undue influence on the generations after them. And you see that most prevalently with Gen X. We're like, who is even Gen X? Like we go from boomers almost straight to millennials. Right. My friends who are like 45 are like, I guess I'm in here somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. 
And yeah, so, I kind of fall in that that range as well, but yeah. at the very, very end of uh, boomers. But right, and so so there's a yeah. lot of the boomer culture that you're like, ah, I'm really not there anymore. Exactly. Right. And so, so so this is normal, but but it's become unnormal partly due to the size of the boomer generation and the way that they exerted pressure on the other generations around them. And so what you see is a pendulum swing, uh, largely led by millennials and now younger even than millennials, right. really wanting to self-actualize. Mm-hmm. Ways, this is normal. And like you said, this is what you did. This is what everybody once did. But mm-hmm. so many people have been sitting in a position of power for so long that they've forgotten that they had to do this too. Right. Yeah. And so um, the, the, the other thing too, is that even just in the life of, of a person, we're, we're all hopefully going through these stages of, of mental and psychological awareness, right? Like when you're a kid, you know, it's kind of like fantasy and truth are all mixed in together, right? And, and, and then you get a little bit older and you actually become really black and white. And then, you know, you kind of go through this synthetic stage as teenagers where you, you're beginning to make sense of all these things and, and choose. And, and some people end up staying there. And I think in many ways, the church got to this point where like, okay, well, we've got, we've got Kelvin stuff and we've got this and, we, and, and we've got this. We don't need anything else. We've figured it all out. Mm-hmm. But the invitation to move beyond that into the maturity of, of mysticism, of of costly love that doesn't have all the answers. I, th- I think what's what's tricky in this moment is you have people all at different stages of this journey and, and it's often really public. Mm-hmm. And so you have some people going through a really healthy process and that's good. And then you have other people getting really angry but not finding an outlet for, mm-hmm. not finding a place for their anger to land safely. And it turns mm-hmm. into bitterness. Right. Poison. And it's very easy if you're a conservative minded person to look at just the angry, bitter folks and be like, see, look, the fruit is bad. Mm-hmm. And, and miss the, the good things that are happening in other groups. So I think mm-hmm. it's care- we have to be careful to, to really look at a broad picture and say, okay, this is probably generally a healthy thing because God is involved at all levels of society and culture and is moving all things somewhere good. What is the future for the church? I think I think we are really moving in a direction of, of mutuality, mm-hmm. where we listen to one another, where we learn from one another, where we, where we have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And we understand the power of someone's life and their story where we read scripture, not just as a set of moral principles that we have to try and live by, and then we fail right. that and we feel bad, mm-hmm. but that scripture is actually a witness to the living word, Jesus Christ. Mm, yes. Transforms us. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think, I think that religion that's being stripped off large sections of the church is really painful and messy. Mm-hmm. But I see Jesus returning to the center in so many different uh, movements and, and streams of the church. All right. I don't know what that looks like in terms of gatherings. I'm not the kind of person to be like the future is house church. I don't, I don't think that. I think uh, the future is mutual. The future is Christocentric. Hopefully the future is grace defining, grace defined, um, you know, and, and we can add on uh, maybe even like less individualistic, more communal, mm-hmm. maybe less nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or, or, and that doesn't mean to say that like liberal globalism is the solution. It's not. Mm-hmm. 
the culture spanning organism that is the body of Christ uh, is, I think, our, our future. It's our present. It's our past. It's, it's what we're invited to be and to live into. So mm. I, I don't know if that's specific enough, but that's a bunch of things that I think we are moving towards. Right. I think that's a very wise answer too, because really it comes down for, to Jesus being the center of everything, I think is to sum up what you're saying. And um, yeah, it's not about changing a structure or something like that. It's really about changing the hearts um, in the long run. So, And I think, I think a lot of people are seeing that with COVID, right? Like I, I spoke to a lot of different pastors and they're Uh saying, well, my online streaming numbers have grown Mm -hmm. during COVID but we're not going to be, we're not sure if we actually have a church in person, not Mm. because we don't want to, but because so many of our people have realized actually like turning up and doing this busy church thing. I didn't miss it as much as I thought I would. Yes. So a lot of people are, are going through these weird things where they're like, okay, so, so what is it that I actually, you know, and and hopefully it's Jesus that they land on. Yeah. Um, Well, and that's a good little good point to think, talk about is, um, because people, if they're finding that they're being fed spiritually with what they've found online, then and maybe they don't have to go every week um, in person to a church. Um, but what would you say about just uh, using wisdom about what you are feeding yourself? Because some people have actually left the church and then left their faith, left their belief in God even. And, you know, I just hate to see that happen, you know, um, not that he can't bring us back, of course, you know, but um, yeah. So what would you say to people um, about that? I would say different things to different people, depending on what I discern is, is up in their hearts because I think yeah. some people, some people have got so much trauma and so much baggage that asking them to stay in their abusive church marriage, is really bad mm. and is not the will of God for them. Right. Uh, I, I would maybe even phrase it this way. And I didn't come up with this. A guy named father John bear raised this and he, and he said, you know, you, we choose to die to ourselves, right? That, that's what we understand the Christian life is. Mm-hmm. Yes. How? But isn't it a paradox? How can you choose to die to self? How can you choose to not choose? Mm-hmm. Like we we're leaning into it, but ultimately we're going to die. Our bodies are going to die one day, and at that mm-hmm. point we have to trust that God is going to resurrect us, like He's promised right. to resurrect all. Mm-hmm. And so, in many ways, this whole thing is trusting in God's ability. Do you actually have everything? You know, when Paul says in, in Romans 8, 39, 38, 39, you know, that nothing can separate us from God. Do we actually trust that that God has got that? That the mm-hmm. separation is that the lack of separation is his work and not our work. Mm-hmm. I, w- I always want to start it there. Um, and, and then from there, it's like, look, uh, I think also we've got some really weird ideas about what it means to be fed spiritually, because because the number of pastors who who are who are accused of things like you know I'm just not being being I'm not being fed in this church as if it's the pastor's responsibility to nourish everybody else. Like friends, it is your responsibility <laughs> to nourish right. yourself mm-hmm. on Christ. Right. 
his body and the words that come from his mouth that are meant to sustain us and nourish us. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe there's a local group of people where you are encountering Christ together and finding that nourishment mutually and communally. Maybe uh, you are finding that nourishment from Stephen Furtick and others online. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I think that's okay. Uh, for me, I want to come back to the real indwelling life of Jesus, and I do want to come back to mutuality. The thing I miss most about church, we, we're not still doing in person, and even when we, we have done a couple of times, it's all masked, and I just find it so painful. I, what I miss about church is being there in the flesh together. Mm-hmm. Not even the sermon. It's not necessarily the worship, but it's just journeying together, embodied, fleshed. So I'm kind of like, sure, listen to podcasts. Like, I, I think if pastors are trying to compete with the top teaching available on the internet, guys, you're going to lose because like we have the cream of the crop. We can pick anything that we want and right. listen to all the best cutting edge, like brilliant theology, Bible school level stuff anytime. Yes. We want. Right. But to be embodied and to journey with people, to see the face of God in mm-hmm. another person across the living room. In, in, in ways that sometimes challenges us too. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say to anybody who's questioning, anybody who's like, I need to take a break from church. I'm like, great, go for it. Hit, lean into the spirit, lean into the voice that calls you towards love and trust that voice. Mm. That voice is leading you away from a building. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. That voice will almost always lead you to people. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it is easy. Sometimes it's fun, but sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's hard. So trust the voice of love, follow the voice of love. And as Paul says, to the best of our ability, live in peace with one another. Mm -hmm. It's with one another that we encounter the presence of God. uh, Most Italy, right? Yeah. That's so good. That's a, and I think that's a great place. We'll, we'll end here. We could talk forever about these <laughs> topics, I think, but um, it's a great place to end with focusing on love and listening to that voice of love. Thank you for listening. For more information or other resources, please visit our website at definedbygod.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast and email list. Until next time, Please know that you are very loved by your Heavenly Father.